0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message.
1: We are in week two of a series called This Is Us, and Ron nailed it last week. I walked out, and I was not the only one because several of you said it to me and several of you said it to him. I walked out remembering why I invested originally in this church and super excited about who we're going to be in the next 20 years. I love the heartbeat of this church. I mean, I, I don't, I would not have become a pastor if I didn't love the heartbeat of the church. But uniquely, I feel drawn to this church, as do you, those of you that come week in and week out. And I walked out super proud of us. I loved the way that he walked us through what the heartbeat of one of the heartbeats of the four that beat at this church about being an inspirational church where people feel better. They don't come here to become more religious. They come here to engage with Jesus and to engage with people that are engaging with Jesus. And I loved it. So of course I came out of his message last week, super fired up and I'm taking a completely different tactic this week. So bear with me, but I, part of the spice of life is variety and I'm a little bit spicy. And so this week we're going to go about this a little different. We're going to hit our, our core value number two. So inspiration was last week, this week is relationships. Next week will be innovation and the last week will be empowerment. This is us. This is what beats at the heart of this church. So, this week, as we talk about relationships, um, Jesus, our church is about relationships. We would actually say that the relationships are the backbone. Of this church. Our church is about relationships because Jesus was about relationships. And I believe that is because relationships is the stuff of life. Inside the church, outside of the church, relationships is it. In fact, I would go so far as to say life is made of faces. And this morning, I want to walk you down memory lane. It's just my memory lane, but you have your version of this same memory lane. I would imagine that if you closed your eyes and I said to you, let's just do this, close your eyes just for a second. Picture a life moment, either a great awakening, it could be your faith awakening, it could be um, falling in love, like a great moment in your life. I'll bet there's a face associated with that moment life is made of faces. You can open your your eyes again. Life is made of faces. The grit, the, the best of life is made of faces. And I just want to illustrate that by walking down my memory lane. These are my parents. That's Ron and Monica. And I was extremely blessed in that lottery draw, which I don't believe in a lottery draw, but that's fine. I was very blessed by these people. That being said, they gave me a great background, but I feel particularly blessed by them because I am the third child born in this family, and regrettably the last. They intended to have others, but I sealed that deal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think that was God's design. But um, I was the last kid, and the first two kids, just to give you an idea of um, how this went, they both married their first boyfriend or girlfriend. My first crush that I can remember because it marked my heart, there's a face in this one, was Bill Hurd. And I was in love with Bill Hurd in kindergarten. That was my first crush. <laughs> to give you another indication of the kind of child I was, Bill Hurd was a senior in high school.
0: <laughs> you
1: guys, ah, ah, my parents had very responsible, um, sensible children until me. And then, they, but here's the thing. My parents loved me. They did not love me in spite of Bill Hurd. They did not love me in spite of these things that made me different from the other kids that they had already gotten a head start on and thought they had it, you know, under their belt. My parents love me for me and they continue to do that. Last year I threw a murder mystery party and this is them, my sensible parents. Dressed up for my murder mystery party because of course they do. That's what you do, even when your children are all grown up and should have outgrown costumes. <laughs> <laughs> they come game. That, that, that is life being made of faces. Let me show you another set of faces. Uh, last one. This is Shawnee. That's little Angela. I was probably in first grade there. And this is Shawnee, my best friend, who was so different from me, so different. Shawnee loved me. She knew me. She was my first best friend. We have the official moment. I can remember where I was standing when she said to me, do you want to be best friends? And of course I said, yes um this was charlie the next face is my fifth grade teacher mary roland and she fits her name her name was spelled m-e-r-r-y and she fits her name and she is the first adult outside of my parents who saw me for me i was a force of nature my whole life Mary was the first adult to communicate to me in a million ways that it is okay that I am this big of a personality. It is okay that I have this many words. It is okay that I have this many ideas. She was the first in a bright and shining light. She killed it, you guys. It was unfathomable to me in fifth grade that that awesome person wanted to spend time with me. I could not believe my good luck. I don't know if you've got a Mary in your life, but they mark you. I'm 41 years old crying about it. (laughs) That's Mary. These next people walked me through one of the darkest days. That was season. Clearly with humor. (laughs) These people walked me through divorce. I did not see that day coming. I did not plan for that day. In fact, I thought I was planning the opposite direction. And in a time when I thought pastors should never get divorced, and I didn't think Christians should get divorced, and I did not know if I was going to be okay, these people saw me. These people walked with me in a very real way, in a very ugly season. Life is made of faces, and I know you have ugly seasons, and I'll bet you have faces that walked with you through them. This next face is one I hold dearly and is a shameless plug for my counselor. (laughs) Marty! Oh, my word! Okay, so coming out of divorce, I had a counselor who uh, was phenomenal, And then I started to take some big steps in my professional walk. So I had had a counselor that walked me through healing my personal life in huge ways, but I started to take some huge steps in my professional walk, and it caused massive stuff to come up for me about women in leadership and powerful women, and man, whoo, up it goes, this huge identity crisis. For those of you that know me, for a long time, you watched me physically change as I walked with Marty, or Marty walked with me through this identity crisis that I was in, a huge piece of my life and a face in this story of mine. The next picture is a whole bunch of faces. (sighs) These are the people, some of the people, that are walking Jason and I through the long and lonely road of infertility. And they are seeing us. They are knowing us. They are listening to us. They are speaking words of truth and hope. They carry our hope when we lose our hope. These people see us. These are the faces in our world. And there's another collage. These are the people who I dearly desire and strategically want to be the person that they can see, sees them. I want to be the Mary to these people. I want them to feel like, hey, that cool girl? I know I'm old, but you can still be somewhat cool, mostly just by loving them. (laughs) That that person actually wants to spend time with me. I want to be the face in their life story. Life is made of faces. This is just my walk down memory lane, but I want to talk a little bit about our church and what the, how that translates, if New Life wants to be a church that is about relationships because Jesus was about relationships, because life is made of relationships and faces, then the question is, how do we do that here? And Ron and the mentors team has begun a great work on our community groups and beginning to invest in new ways to make it a place where church can be the place that we can be seen and known and loved. I read a book three years ago that explained some things to me about relationships, why some relationships could be fun and life-giving, and some relationships are life-changing. They're actually life-altering. The book was called The Cure, and the key concept for me was talking about the masks that we wear, that most of us grow up in a, receiving various feedback that tells us you should blank, you should be this. You should not be this. You should. And we begin as we get older to develop these masks. One of the things we love about kids is that they have no artifice, right? Two kids greeting each other run at full speed until they either smash their bellies together or they're standing face to face just grinning. And you can see on them, I am so happy to see you. And it's unreserved. It's one of the things we love. But as we grow, we begin to form these masks. And we put different masks on. And they're totally unique to each of us. We might put the mask on that says, well, I told you about divorce. I felt like pastors should not have divorce. That's not a thing that should be happening. So I wanted to put a mask up that says, hey, I've got it all together. It's okay, I'm fine. My personality is naturally gregarious, but I'm not always gregarious. Sometimes I'm crying, ugly crying. But when you catch me ugly crying, it takes everything in my person not to shove the mask back up and say, it's okay, I'm okay, everything's fine, I'm fine. Do you have masks? Can you see in your own world the temptation to put the masks up? One of the things out of this book that was so pivotal to me was the idea that we cannot feel loved behind our masks. That if we will put the mask up and we receive love, and it might be genuine love from the person who is giving the love, but if we have a mask up and they are loving us, our heart says, well, they only love our mask. They don't actually love me. It isn't until we get the guts to take that mask down or until someone like a Mary Someone like a parent, someone like a, a dear friend makes it safe for us to take that mask down. It isn't until we take that mask down and us in all of our glory, in all of our awesomeness and in all of our less than awesome, <laughs> uh, that, <laughs> in all of our glory actually can feel love. It's the first time love actually sinks in. And my, my story all the way through, when I look at these faces, these are people that did not just see the titles on me. I am a pastor's daughter. I am now a pastor. I am a woman. I am a forties woman. I have all of these titles that I wear that is so easy for people to just glance at and think, oh, I know that kind of person. You know, I, I know that kind of person. If I keep the masks up, it just perpetuates that same thing. It isn't until I have the courage to take the mask down that I can actually receive love. And the more time I spend with my mask down, the easier it is for me to love other people in such a way that creates a safe environment for them to take their masks down. The trick is, how do we do that as an organization? It's hard enough to do that one-on-one in a single friendship with two people. That is a skill to be developed, and it is rare and beautiful in life. The question is, how do we do that as an entire organization? We've spent about a year researching, not just this idea. We've actually, as a staff, spent a year researching what are other organizations, including churches, what are other churches doing that is beating the odds in this, that is keeping, um, managing in group setting to pull those masks down, to make it safe for people. And part of this research process, it has been life-altering for those of us that are involved in it. It It's super hopeful for our, our future as a church. But part of that is running into and then developing relationships with different organizations and people that are doing this kind of thing. And one of the organizations you've probably heard us talk a little bit about is Young Life. And it is an organization that is um, for, specifically for teens, middle schoolers and high schoolers. And they are beating the odds in a time when teenagers are fleeing organized religion and the church. Young Life for the last 70 years has kept a consistent growth pattern, has demonstrated above and beyond what I would consider the gold standard for this relational type environment on an organizational level. So it just made sense to me, if I respect them that much, why wouldn't I, we give you a chance to hear from them directly? So I've asked who, I've spent a year with him now, rolling up our sleeves and figuring this thing out. Matt Walker is now a friend of mine, and he's the regional director for Young Life. And so I asked him, come talk to us about the secret sauce that is Young Life, because at the heartbeat of Young Life is this relational thing, this mask. Free living. So, I, could you welcome my friend Matt? Thank you. Good luck.
0: Wow, and thanks for sharing your story, Angela. You are, you guys have, she is a force of nature, isn't she? Man, and she has become a dear friend, so thank you. Well, uh, as Angela said, I'm Matt Walker and I work for Young Life. I live in and do Young Life in San Francisco. And I've been an admirer of this church from afar for many years, so it is great to be with you all. In Young Life, we can't do all of what New Life does so well. We can't and we don't. We do one thing really well. We love kids. We love all kinds of kids. We love middle school kids. We love high school kids. We love inner city kids, we love suburban kids, we love, we love small town rural kids, we love kids of color, we love Anglo kids, we love gay kids, we love straight kids, we love military kids, we love kids all around the world. One of our catch lines is every kid everywhere for eternity. And we don't just enter into a kid's life because of how they act or how they behave, we enter into their lives and love them because of who they are. Because we know that every kid was created on purpose for a purpose by a God who loves them. And no kid is an accident, although you all know every single one feels that way too often. We love kids, in short, because Jesus loves kids. And we don't love kids so that they might come to a Young Life event sometime, or so that they may become church-going Christian folks. Because anytime you add a so that to loving someone, it's not pure love. Am I right? Yeah. We don't love kids so that. We just love kids. But because all of our staff and volunteers love Jesus... That oftentimes does end up with kids that we love getting to hear about how deeply Jesus loves them. So in this theme of faces, I want to share a few faces of kids for whom this story has played out. This is my friend Tiano. Tiano, oh, I'm sorry, that's the next slide. This, I'm getting used to this, sorry about that. You can go back to that one. That was great. Um... This is my friend Jai Lin on the left. Jai moved to San Francisco two years ago. Her family immigrated from China. She barely spoke English when she landed at Galileo High School in North Beach. About a year ago, she met this other friend, Laura, a Young Life leader, in her art class. They struck up a friendship. Lin never came to a Young Life event, but these two became friends. And uh, in the teenage world today, that actually means following each other on Instagram. So they became Instagram friends. And this past summer, Laura posted something on Instagram about how she was so excited to go to Young Life camp in a few weeks. And Jailin wrote back to her and said, Hey, can I go to camp? Am I allowed because I'm an atheist? <laughs> And Laura said, are you kidding? Of course. And in fact, I hope you do come because I would love to spend a week with you at camp. Sure enough, Lynn signed up to come to camp. And in this case, while at camp, she heard about Jesus for the first time and she placed her hope and trust in him. She told Laura that the last two years had been the loneliest of her life, that she felt like there was no way there was a God, and there was no way that he was good, if there was one. But she told Laura that thinking about all this and processing it with Laura at camp made her realize that actually, God was the only one who had been with her for those two years. And that he had been pursuing her all along. And that any God that pursues like that is worth giving your heart to. Jalen came home from camp, asked Laura where she went to church, started going to church with Laura, eventually dragging her mom, who spoke even less English, (laughs) to church. And they spent the summer going to church together. And then Laura just drove at 5.30 a.m., across town, picked up Jialin and her mom so that the two of them could drop off Jialin at UC Santa Cruz and take her to church the next day and help her get plugged in into a church community there. What I love about this is Laura didn't love Jialin because she was lonely. She didn't love her because she didn't speak English. It was difficult for them to build this friendship, but she just loved her. And that's what happened. One more face I want to show you. This is my friend Tiano this time. Tiano has severe autism and is almost nonverbal. He can say yeses, nos, and sometimes you get a few more words out of him. He lived until a few months ago just around the corner from me, and we struck up a friendship. I started going and volunteering at his after school center, Um, I started hanging out with him and his dad, he was from a broken home and was raised by uh, an atheist dad who was a good man but unemployed, on disability, they lived in a really challenging situation. Eventually, Tiano and I got to know each other enough that he came to Young Life and We could never tell if he was enjoying himself, again, because he doesn't say much, can't say much, but he always seemed like he was enjoying himself. We couldn't understand how much he was processing, but we just loved him. And I and some other Young Life leaders, we would take him to his doctor's appointments. We would um, hang out with him on weekends. We would take him to get his prescriptions filled, which was kind of weird because it was medical marijuana before it was cool. And (laughs) he... For his seizures, so that was that's a weird position as a young life leader, like yeah, let 's go in the dispensary and <laughs> <laughs> but we did that, we did that, and sure enough, Tiano came to camp two summers ago and had a great week at young life camp and At the end of the week, we left a few minutes for every kid to write a letter to God, saying whatever they wanted to say. Tiano paired up with one of his leaders named Steve. Now, to get Tiano to camp, we had to be trained in how to help him with his seizures. He had to wear a helmet all day long at camp. And we were trained that whenever a seizure came on, we just had to grab him as fast as we could, lower him to the ground, and then lay with him and just hug him and hold him until the seizure passed. Man, it was a glimpse of what his dad's life has been like. So... He had three or four of these seizures. I laid on the ground and helped him through one. Steve had done this too. So he goes off with his friend Steve. And Steve says, in a moment of miraculous verbal clarity, Tiano dictates to Steve this letter. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus loves me. Jesus wants to be with me, and he wants to take care of me. Jesus thinks about me. Jesus wants to be in my life. I want Jesus in my life. I want Jesus to walk with me. I love him too. Jesus being with me. You guys, Steve and Tiano's young life leaders didn't have anything to gain from being friends with Tiano. They just loved him because he was not an accident. There's one last face I want to share with you all. These stories are from San Francisco, like I said, where I live. But I've got really exciting news to share, and that is that thanks to a lot of work from a lot of people, Angela included, we just hired someone to start Young Life here in Petaluma this week. So, and he's, he's here right now. So I'm going to invite him up, and his wife, Bobby, and Lauren, would y'all come up here, please, just so everybody can see your faces. This is Bobby. He comes to us from Young Life staff in northern Napa Valley. He's been on staff two and a half years, and his history goes way further back than that with Young Life. And this is Lauren, who really needs less of an introduction. She's far more impressive. I just don't need to stuff her resume as much right now. Anyway, these two are going to change the landscape of youth in this city with y'all's help. Um, And please come up and say hello to them after the service, if you would. They'll be right up front here. Um, And so we just want to say on behalf of Young Life, we love you all at this church. We're so grateful for all you have done lending Angela and her talents and so many of your members' talents. Again, we can't do everything that this church does so well. But we will do the best we can in the one thing we do well. And we're so grateful to be a part of what God's doing here. Thanks a lot.
1: You can see why. For the record, it's always very encouraging when a man comes up here and cries on stage. Because I feel like I keep doing it. (laughs) I love that. Love that about you, Matt. (laughs) Oh, you can see why that organization... I mean, Matt is just one face of that. When you hear Bobby talk about it... Well, actually, Lauren is also involved in Young Life. When you hear her talk about it, that sensation of getting choked up about what they do is why they can organizationally do such a massive step forward in relational-type engagement with people. And at the, when I... Think about this. I just think, you guys, we gotta get this right. We gotta get this right. 20 years ago, when this church was planted, this was a cornerstone of what God said to Ron, our founding pastor. This is where people can be authentic with each other. Let's not put the guards up. Let's, let's be an organization that helps people take their guards down. It is part of our DNA as an organization. But as we look to the next 20 years, We have ground to take in this way because our society is changing, so the ways that we make safe spaces for people has to change with it. We have to grow and mature and increase our emotional intelligence and our organization's emotional intelligence. We got to get this right. And I think there's three reasons why we get it right. And I I say we got to get it right to our staff team, but the truth is, you guys, we are the church, (laughs) This is us is not talking about our staff. (laughs) This is us is talking about us. If our staff finds a way to create safe places and help by demonstrating vulnerability and making it safe for other people to be vulnerable, but when they encounter the rest of us, they don't get that same vibe, then this is us is not this is us. So I'm going to talk about why we got to get this right, but I want to make sure you know the we is us. It's all of us here. Whether you are officially part of this church, or this is your first time here, I I would say our society needs this. The church should be leading the way. We should be leading the way in this. Jesus was known for his love, and he said that people would know his followers because of their love. So the church should be leading the way, but I would say even if you never came back to this church again, listen. Listen. We got to get this right. We got to get this right. There's three reasons why I think we got to get this right. One, you deserve it. For so many of us, our homes of origin was one of the most um, pivotal places where our masks need to be on. In theory, our homes should have been the place where we felt the most ourselves, where we felt the safest. But for a lot of us, that has not been our experience We deserve this. Teenagers really struggle to find safe places. That's why organizations like Young Life and New Life partnering with Young Life, we want to be that place. You deserve a place to come where you can take your masks off and be fully yourself, fully known and fully loved for who you are. You deserve it. So I would say we got to get this right because you deserve this. I would also say because you deserve this is because... I'm going to say our next thing. <laughs> our community needs this desperately. For a ton of people, church might be the only place where they encounter this kind of love and maybe the only reason why they consider a God who claims to love them. Oftentimes, you and I are the face that is the first evidence that there might be a God that loves them unconditionally. Our community needs this in the same way that you and I deserve this. Every single person out there deserves it as well. But in addition, if we want them to believe that Jesus loves them and gave his life for them, oftentimes they first need to see it on another human being in order to dare to dream that. So we got to get this right because you deserve it, because our our community needs it. And I'm going to throw the gauntlet down even further. I'm going to say we got to get this right because the next generation actually demands it. Every one of us deserves it and needs it, but the next generation's worldview is completely intolerant for inauthenticity. If you have anybody in your world younger than 25, you have gotten a clear indication from them that vulnerability, authenticity, kindness, love, acceptance, is a must before they will trust anything you have to say as far as counsel goes, anything you have to say as far as guidance goes. The worldview that they have developed demands authenticity, and good on them for it. It is about blankety-blank time. I'm so (laughs) proud of this generation, but we got to get it right. You guys, if we want them to love the God that we love, they need to feel that God's love off of us. They need to have five adults in their world. Did you know that a student leaving home has a 50% chance, greater chance, of retaining the faith of their childhood if there are five adults who know them and love them, who know their name, who see them? Five adults, you guys, five. I feel like we need a whole community to communicate that, but the stats would show if they have five, then they have a 50% greater chance of retaining their faith as they go out into the adult world and leave their homes of origin we can do five. We can do that. They are demanding it out of us. And I love it. Lead up next gen. You tell us what you need and we will be the ones to meet that need. So we got to get this right because Jesus was about relationships. We want this church to be about relationships. We need to be about relationships. So let's get this mask business right. We're going to spend, we've spent a year in research, we are about ready to unveil two different fronts that point in the same direction. We've been talking for 11 months about taking these two years to set up the next 20 years for our organization. It's time to start talking about the research and work that we've been doing behind the scenes. So when you see things like community updates being promoted, when you get invited to a behind-the-scenes conversation, anything that you see that's like, hey, we want to update you, we have a year's worth of work to update you on on how we're going to do this. Not just the relationships, the innovation, the empowerment, and the inspiration. So I would say respond to those invitations. Show up at those community updates because this is the beginning of our journey of setting up what it means to be a community where people can be known, seen, loved, empowered, inspired. And I'm missing one of them. Oh, through innovative means. Through innovative means. Um, This is us, you guys. This is us. And that is us for our service today. God go with you. God bless you. Bye.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's message.